Welcome to Sound Motives, Episode 5, with me, Dave O'Donnell. I want to start off by just saying thank you so much to the Worldwide FM gang for having me. And if this is your first time listening to Sound Motives, each episode is based around an interview with a musician, and it looks to explore their influences and their motivations, attempting to provide some sense of how their past has informed the way that they work today. Personally, as someone who's always been fascinated by music and the processes around creating it, I'm really into how artists manage to sculpt their own musical identities, how they differentiate themselves from the crowd. Is it about raw talent or strategy or persistence or serendipity? Or does it have to be a combination of all those things to produce something truly unique? What role do scenes and communities play in that And how do musicians learn and develop their own ways of working? Now, all of these are themes that I'm super interested in. So during each interview, whenever we come across a topic that seems significant, I note it down. And when the conversation's finished, I go away and I research these topics. I call them sound sources. So along with the audio edit of the show that you're listening to right now, I spend a few days working on a show page that includes a bunch of related links to articles and videos and documentaries. So if you want to delve deeper, you can by heading over to the Sound Motors website. My guest today is someone who is well on his way to distilling his own unicity. It's electronic music producer Max Cooper. Hailing from Northern Ireland, but now based in London, Max's music crosses scenes and genres, and over the next hour, you'll hear about his journey and the artists that influenced him growing up. And Max speaks thoughtfully, openly, and honestly about his work and the struggles involved in it. So I'm truly delighted to have him on the show. I thought I'd start with a nice, easy question around identity and asked him, what are you? (laughs) 
what am I? Um, I'm a human, I suppose. I, I musically, I don't really fit in that easily musically. I, I'm sort of, I've always struggled to find a place, I guess. I feel strongly. I guess that's the core musically. If something's beautiful, it really you know affects me, or something's bad, it really affects me, and I, I'm sort of quite a uh, emotional person. Music is my route to be able to express myself much more directly than I can with anything else in my life. It's a funny one. I. Music is one of my sort of loves, but it's not the only thing in my life. You know, I love visual art and I love sciences and I love learning, really. I, I spent so many years from the age of 15 or something when I started doing rigorous learning. I did that for a long time. You know, I really loved the academic lifestyle. I spent a good 10, 15 years really learning and, and researching. And probably that's my biggest love is just wanting to learn and sort of find out new things. Those are the cores of where I'm coming from. And that's why I've involved so much science, visualizations and collaborations and random ideas and bringing all these different things together into my musical practice. It allows me to learn and that's what I'm most interested in. My mum was a music therapist and was a music teacher and encouraged me to play instruments, but I really didn't connect with it because the music I was playing wasn't who I was. That was the thing there I found that I could do music if I expressed what I felt. So I didn't ever connect with it and I didn't ever pursue playing instruments to any degree of proficiency. First music that probably connected with me properly was my sister's electro pop Depeche Mode and Erasure and she she loved all the you know that sort of that synth pop stuff, which I still I still love it. Possibly the gold, one of the golden eras of, of pop music really gets played so much now. It's just full of life. It's fresh because it, it's a point in time when suddenly synthesizers were being created and it, there was all these new tools and people began expressing themselves and it was also a time of, it was difficult time economically I suppose and a lot of the time hard times yield you know, the most amazing new types of artistic expression. That was the first music that sort of grabbed me but it was still only something which it didn't ever seem like something that I would, you know, still wasn't a consideration for something that I would get involved in started going to clubs when I was, you know, 16, 17, 18 in Ireland and then later when I moved to England. The clubs in Northern Ireland were 
hard house or trance. That was your two choices, you know. <laughs> and actually, then no, there was techno. There was Shine, long-running, legendary Belfast techno night, which is still going. So it was a limited choice, but I guess it was the sort of tail end of the rave scene. My first ever gig I went to was Prodigy. So I was very much into that sort of ravey thing and then that sort of the development of that. wasn't until I moved to Nottingham when I first went to a drum and bass night in like 99. My friend was like, you ever listen to drum and bass? And I was like, no. And he took me to the Marcus Garvey Centre in Nottingham. Mickey Finn and Aphrodite and Ed Rush and Optical and the early Ram stuff and drum and bass, which has a lot of groove and a lot of, definitely the jungle elements still there as well from the remnants of the rave scene. Changed a lot of things for me. I ended up going to the breakbeat and there was the big beat thing which I was sort of caught the end of and and then the breakbeat thing and that's and then I sort of okay I can this is good because you know something new and it's sort of bringing together these different things that I'm into pick it up it's like a virus always making mixes all the time and recording them onto tapes and recording one tape onto another tape and onto another tape and then giving the tapes to promoters and people so I started getting some gigs at like 99 I suppose or 2000 started getting some gigs in, in Nottingham and 
I did all sorts of studenty gigs and stuff, and I actually then went into hip hop. There was a whole hip hop era because again, I, I loved all the Grand Central records and Nightmares on Wax, Pruder and Dorfmeister, and that was that awesome trip hop funk thing going on, which was great. So I got really into DJing that stuff. Point where I was really obsessed with DJing, you know, and that's when I was playing hip hop and into the whole DMC championship thing. And I was learning my beat juggling routines and all this stuff, you know. DJing was my focus. And then I thought it seems maybe the, the best thing is to write some music to support DJing. And then as soon as I started trying to write music, I just discovered this whole new thing. Actually, writing music is so much more suited to me as a person. Through all this, I was always studying science and working in academia. The production was where both came together. There was the academic side, it's a challenging thing, you have to learn a lot about sound and software and you know techniques and psychoacoustics. There's so many similar to academic work processes involved in music production that it satisfied that side of my interests. Then also the, the emotion, the expression side, and it tapped into this whole being able to play gigs in the music side. And when I discovered that, I sort of thought, why, why didn't I you know, do this earlier? This is like really well suited to what I'm interested in. listening to Sound Motives with my guest Max Cooper. So Max first approached his productions primarily as a way to get more gigs, which meant he got into the habit of sending everything he made out to people so they'd book him. It was all shit, you know, but I would do it and then I'd get some feedback and I'd do it again and I'd do it again and I just kept finishing and just trying to put it out there, which I think was a good thing in the end. 
it's very easy when you're writing music to get stuck on one track for a long time and sort of always go back to it or never finishing it. A lot of people write music, they've got like all these unfinished pieces of music on their computers and they're like really great things and you're half done. Whereas because I came at that from that angle of wanting to push gigs initially, I was like, I had to finish tracks to give them to people, otherwise it wouldn't have the desired effect. But approaching it in that way would put a good sort of system in place as to how I would then go on to do things later. At that early stage, was a career in music the aim? I was never looking long term. It was more like, okay, I can just about scrape a living barely doing music. I haven't got any other options at the moment, so let's just do this. And I never assumed that it would be a longer term solution. It was more of a like, I enjoy this. Let's just do it for a while. I was you know, younger and I, I didn't have dependents or anything like that. So it's a great time to do that. But I was not the sort of person that thought you know I'm gonna make this work or this is gonna I was always more probably more assuming that it wouldn't work and then just being happy if any any little things worked you know so there was always jeopardy there but I was never the sort to put too much pressure on that I just focused on working hard and doing things which I thought were good and trying to express myself heard about Max Cooper's musical beginnings, and in the background is one of his first releases, a track called Nicaragua, which, of the three tracks on that EP, to me shows the most obvious glimpses of Max's later sonic directions. But as his aesthetic has shifted over the years, can Max articulate what has remained consistent throughout? The consistent thing has always been trying to express myself and trying to put some feeling into a piece of music. But the thing that has changed absolutely has been trying to replicate what techno is or what house is or what breakbeat is or drum bass is, you know, trying to replicate a genre and trying to fit into something, which has then moved to trying not to do that, trying to just make a piece of music, which is the best piece of music I can make and expresses the idea as, as best I can without concern for whether it fits into a particular genre, whether you can DJ with it. It's moved more towards me wanting to try and create music with its own merit. 
I've got this obsession about wanting to create something with real merit, stuff that's times the test of time. I don't think I have done it yet. I think that's what I'm, that's my aim, my sort of longer term aim is to, to make something which it could sound similar to techno or whatever. I'm not saying it can't sound like anything out there, but it's something which has its own life and its own value that stands apart from everything else. So that's the that's the aim, really, the sort of long-term, the life goal, musically, I suppose, to make one thing which has, has merit within itself. listening to Sound Motives with my guest Max Cooper. Now, in a previous episode, in respect to the creative process, my guest Paul White spoke of quietening the mind, allowing the music to emerge without a specific defined goal or intention behind it. As an alternative approach, it seems to me that Max often places concepts at the centre of his album projects and uses those concepts as supports on which to build. These are obviously two very different approaches to the creative process, which I was keen to explore with Max. It's something I've been thinking about recently, actually, the question of whether you create a piece of music or whether it already exists and you find it. And this is very tied to this idea of the platonic realm. Mathematicians and physicists and researchers, the assumption is that when they find some sort of natural law take something really simple like Pythagoras theorem, right? The square of the longest sides, the sum of the other two squares. 
that was true before people realised that it existed, right? So in some sense it existed. And mathematicians and physicists always talk about how they feel like they're finding you know, the structure of nature and they're finding things that already exist. Whereas the opposing view would be, no, they're inventing this thing. But it seems a bit silly to say they invented it. So I find with music it's a bit similar. feels like when I'm writing a piece of music, the way I work is I have an idea that I'm trying to express, I have a feeling, and you know, I'm, I'm trying to make this tangible. And what I, what I do, the way, the way I work, because I'm not a musician, who's done, plays piano nicely. I'll start playing you know, badly and I'll get some, oh, that, that's sort of what I'm going for. It's not quite right, but then I'll turn that into MIDI and then I'll start moving all the notes around. That's not right. Oh, and that one, that's, oh, that's the right one there. And using my feeling of something that's already there, which I'm trying to make tangible. So it feels to me like the piece of music already exists and I'm just trying to squeeze it out step by step. Seventy percent of the music I've made, I really dislike. I really struggle artistically to to create something I'm happy with, and I find the music industry really tough. It's not easy, basically, on many levels, dealing with the intensities of touring and, and that sort of lifestyle. But I think more importantly, it's just the struggle of trying to create something special or something that I think has merit. Like I was mentioning earlier, I still feel like I haven't done it. I'm trying to express myself in a, in a way which I think has merit, and that's tough. 
people chat and it just seems like it all came so easily to them, you know? And that's absolutely not the case with me. It's always a grind and a struggle. Actually, sometimes, very rarely, it just like sort of happens really nicely. And like most of the time, it's not like that. Most of the time, it's like I make something and oh, it's crap. And I make something again, oh, it's crap. And you have to push and slog. Always with every piece as well. There's always periods where it's really consuming in a positive way. And I'm like, I get lost in it once I find something. And then I get totally lost and I stay up all night and I just lose track of time. That's one of the amazing things about making music. You get so lost in this process. But either side of that, there's a lot of hard slog that has to go in, you know. I'm not particularly confident with my work. So a lot of the time I'll create something when I'm in it, I think it's really good. And then a week later I'll listen and I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh no. And there's the risk of going back and sometimes fiddling with something too much and you just make it worse. And the, the process of making music is quite a torturous thing because it's subjective. You can't just make something and know that it's good. Depending on your mood, something can sound good or bad. Or, you know, sometimes I'll make something and I'll decide it's terrible and maybe it's already been released and I'm really stressed about this. And then two years later, I realise actually it's good. It's like you're like some sort of manic depressive on a creative level, flipping between these different viewpoints. And when that's the core of your work, the, the grounds of what's positive and negative and how you should negotiate the landscape is so uncertain and changing that it's a quite a maddening grounds that's your value judgment system that you have to use to create your, your output of your work and it's so warped and it can change from day to day that it can be quite a <laughs> quite a mad process so it's certainly not yeah i certainly wouldn't sit here and say oh yeah it's just easy all the time it's it's not like that has already talked about how earlier in his career he'd finish tracks and send them out immediately in order to get gigs as a DJ. But in terms of finishing tracks today, I was curious to hear how it works. 
now that his DJing priorities might have shifted. It takes me so long to write a piece of music because of the way I work um, and because of the aesthetics. I'm interested and in, really interested in all the detailing and all this like stuff which takes ages to do. So a lot of the time, I'm you know I I have a a schedule you know to keep like I I've always been strict with myself about releasing you know I need to release here and I'm going to do this thing here and I've always stuck to that so most of the time it just means that that drive kicks in at some point I'm going well I'm 70% happy with this that's okay it's rare that I'll finish something and just actually decide that actually this, no this is not I'm just not into this I'm, and I'll bin it that, that only happens one in ten something like that one in ten tracks or maybe less With all the challenges that Max outlines in terms of making a career out of art, where value is entirely subjective, what does success look like to him? If I ever create something which I feel is truly unique and still effective as a piece of music that delivers feeling and interest and engagement and story and is totally unique, that would be the point of you know maybe making something which does have real merit. I don't know if I've done that with anything yet. I feel like, I don't know, my music's certainly unique to a degree, and when I listen to most other music, it's all very genre-defined and, and sort of fits into things. I think the the people that choose an example, I don't know, could say early Trent Muller work, even Neil's, what Neil's Fram's done, in particular in terms of the live side of things, and people that really deliver something 
with real merit that's sort of new and amazing and powerful, it makes a real impact. I don't think I've done that with anything. One fascinating thing about Max Cooper is his interdisciplinary collaboration. He's frequently working with visual artists, and sometimes the visual elements actually take the lead in steering his own approach to his music. It turns out it all started with Philip Glass. Going back over and really listening to his stuff again. I love his work, Koina Squatsy, Score, and that whole project was one of the really influential, you know, audiovisual pieces on everything I've done. Uh, to some extent that was informed you know it was I was like wow you can do this you know with visual and music and you can make this really powerful experience his work's been a big influence
just heard the opening from Philip Glass's score for the Koyanit Skatsi soundtrack. Now Philip is one of Max's sound sources, so you can head over to the show page and check out a couple documentaries about him. There's an interview he did with Dev Hines of Blood Orange, and there's also a clip of the Koyanit Skatsi film itself over there. Also on the show page, there are documentaries about Depeche Mode and Ed Russian Optical, as well as links to a couple of the artists we'll be hearing about shortly. Anyway, informed by Philip Glass, Max embraces this multimedia approach of working with visual artists, and one of his regular collaborators is Andy Lomas. He's a really inspiring person because he did mathematics and you know academia, and and he's translated his love of mathematics and nature into art. He makes mathematical models of cell growth and particle aggregation and breaking things down to, to the fundamentals. And then he explores natural systems and then explores what they could do artistically. And the, what they can do artistically is really beautiful and you know, really, it's an inspiring connection he makes between the fundamentals of nature and, and art. So I've done a few projects with him and his work's an ongoing inspiration and he's someone I love chatting to about these ideas. The link between academic research in the sciences and, and mathematics and art, it links my interests together because that's what I used to be involved in and I'm very much still interested in it. And then the other person I should mention for sure is Kevin McLaughlin, who did the Waves video, Symmetry, and he did Resynthesis and Veil of Time. So I've done a lot of projects with him and his work's just really striking and really varied and he's really interested in the ideas so I spend a lot of time chatting to him about the concepts and, and he really gets that way of working and he also seems to feel the natural connection with the music he understands how I want the music to link the concept visually so he's been one of my main visual collaborators Some of these audio-visual collaborations between Max and artists like Kevin and Andy and others are really extraordinary, so I've posted a few over on Max's show page for you to check out. Now, Max talked earlier on about no longer being concerned with conforming to genre. And it's true that when I first discovered his music, I didn't quite know how to place him as an artist. Was he coming from the club culture techno background, or was he more of an ambient neoclassical kind of guy? And an idea that led on from that was who is his audience and who is his community? Online, he's got a considerable following, but I suspect that they might be somewhat disparate rather than being found all in one place. So is community important? It does have real value, and it's something I have been lacking over the last five years or ten years or whatever it is. I would like to have that. But what I wanted didn't exist, so I was like, I have to, so I have to do it myself, you know. It does mean that I'm fairly isolated. Where do I fit in to gigs, the social aspect of touring, you know? The trade-off is that I get creative freedom. I don't have to try and conform to anything particular. All that said, part of the reason for doing the Mesh label is to find other people that share my interests. 
to create some sort of community because it's really important to have collaborators. I already mentioned Andy and, and Kevin. My main community of collaborators is more the visual people, which and I get a lot of working with them. It's really helpful creatively and artistically and for development. But it would be really nice to have that musically as well. And that's why I started this Mesh label, which is called Mesh, because I wanted to have this emphasis on music, which is part of these wider arts and sciences and installation and architecture projects. How music can link into other things and other art forms and be part of that. And both sides can inform each other and how you can get emergent. The music and installation structure and the visual form, when they come together in the right way, you get something much more powerful than the sum of the individual parts. So yeah, that's part of the reason that I've gone down this route of trying to figure out what it is that I'm interested in artistically and creatively and then trying to build a label around that. Sound motive, when music meets culture. Sound motive, when music meets culture. Sound motive, when music meets culture. Rob Clough is one of the people that definitely needs a mention. He's a really amazing, playful, creative person. He writes software that then he uses to make his music, so he's really going deep. He also does his own visuals as well, so he writes software that makes visuals. <laughs> and his music's just crazy, you know, it's, it sounds different to everyone else. 99.9% .9 of the electronic music, I can make a fair guess at what systems they've used and how they've done it. And because Rob's doing things totally differently, it just, to me is mind-blowing but then he also balances that with the feeling and expression it doesn't get lost because a lot of the time this music which is too based around techniques rather than feeling can sometimes become a bit too dry for me whereas Rob has a good balance of that so he was someone whose work I've loved for years and someone I always had said to him over the last like 10 years I was like I really want to start a label but you need to be involved so finally he agreed to, he was like okay Let's do that. I'm going to make an album for your label and the timing, as often with these things, whenever there's gratuitous coincidences happening like that, you know that it's the right time to delve into running a label project and pushing this thing.
casting the net a little wider beyond the community that Max works with. Who does he listen to in his own time? Ben Lucas Boysen, I love. His Gravity album is a couple of years old now. I mean, all the stuff that he's done is great, but I still keep going back to that album. Winged Victory for the Sullen, I love. I love chords and they're really, you know, the masters of epic chords and just expanse, you know. I did an amazing trip driving around Yosemite and sort of Lake Tahoe and, that, you know, the US countryside, you know, it's just so much bigger than British countryside, you know, it's just orders of magnitude bigger. And I, I had an amazing time just listening to this, the expanse of music there of, of Winged Victory. So it's still a favorite.
Lucene. I love Lucene always. I'm a major fan of Lucene. It's just really amazing synth work. So clean, rich, spatial palette, and really melodic and super high-end production. You know, he just really sets the standard, in my opinion, for really beautiful electronic music. pretty much done there's just enough time to look to the future and ask what max is most looking forward to in the years ahead there's so many really powerful tools being developed computationally which are being employed primarily for business a lot of the time based around big data and learning algorithms and stuff but the flip side artistically is that there's really interesting options for new types of musical expression and artistic expression. I find that really exciting and something which I'm taking steps to try and explore. Again, tying back to something I mentioned earlier about this pop golden era, you know, this sort of the birth of synthesized music and how it, it created this amazing new genre and really great pop music. And it was hinged around the fact that people had all this new technology and new ways of making music and new ways of expressing themselves and that 
got them excited and fed back into the whole process. And so for me, it's really exciting that computational approaches are opening new doors. And that ties back to the research I did. Actually, my research was all about networks and how they can evolve to perform complex tasks. And when you have a self-optimizing system like that, it'll learn to do things which us as humans don't actually know necessarily how it's doing it. There is an analog, at least, of a creative process. And I think that for the arts, that's going to have a big impact at some point. And it hasn't done yet, but I'm sure it will happen. So I'm keen to explore what it, what can be done. And I know there are people that have already, I think Google have got their NSynth project. And just that in itself, it'll open up new sound palettes whenever that technology becomes available publicly in a more full sense than it is now. It'll open up new sound palettes and people then using that to write music will sort of, that's when you can re-make something new, at least uh, uh, for that time. So yeah, that's the, one of the next steps I want to take, that, hence the collaboration with software developers and trying to start down that road a little. Okay, so that's it for this episode of Sound Motives. Many thanks to Max Cooper. It was a real pleasure speaking with you. Max's album, Yearning for the Infinite, is out now on his own Mesh label. And the album's accompanied by a live show that just looks amazing from what I've seen online. So make sure to check it out if it comes to your town. Now you can check the further links to a bunch of the subjects Max discussed in the episode over on his show page at soundmotives.net where you'll find other episodes featuring Shigeto, Kenton Slash Demon, Mala, and Paul White as well. So if you dig it, give us a follow on socials, sign up to the mailing list, go tell your friends, all that good stuff. Well, that's it. Thanks very much for listening. Until next time, goodbye.